Hello, welcome to the Healthy Alternatives podcast. I am Dr. Christine Sauer with DocChristine.com. Today's show is a recording of my radio show of the same name. Enjoy! Good afternoon, this is Dr. Christine Sauer, your host of the show Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOE FM with live stream on communityradio.ca every Thursday at 12 noon Atlantic Standard Time. Thanks for tuning in today. In this show, I will talk mostly with guests about all aspects of health, healthcare and wellness, from conventional to alternative and everything in between. My mission for this radio show is to help change people's lives for the better by informing them about different options to get and stay healthy and well so they can choose for themselves which option might be working in their case. And if you feel you are stuck in a dark place, I want to tell you, don't give up. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for you too. Today, I'm extremely pleased to be with Stephanie Davis-Miller. She's a paramedic and an advocate for first responder mental health. Thank you so much for being on the show, Stephanie. Thank you for having me today. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. And I know you have a story that you can tell people about what how you, as a paramedic, started to become an advocate for first responder mental health. Sure. Um, I come from a family of first responders. So before I was a paramedic, uh, my father was a police officer for 32 years, and my first husband was also a police officer. Uh, the mental health component comes in uh, when I was a teenager, 17 years old. Um, I was involved in uh, three traumatic events back-to-back -back, uh, and uh, subsequently developed PTSD. Hmm. Um, I didn't know I had PTSD, so I suffered in silence for seven years. Uh, but when that was finally diagnosed and, you know, kind of worked through, um, you know, I really recognized that, wow, you know, um, there's so many people out there that don't know, um, you know, what the signs and symptoms are or... or you know, you know that, that something is, is maybe not right in their life or where to get help. And uh, so bringing kind of all of those things together, I wanted to find a way to be able to um, advocate and, and help others so that people don't have to suffer in silence or, or feel so alone uh, when they're struggling. No, that is really interesting. Let me ask you, when that happened at 17, were you already a first responder yourself or were you just involved in those events? Uh, so, no, um, that's the thing. I was not a first responder. And, you know, it's important to recognize uh, that PTSD happens to anyone, can happen yeah. to anyone at any time. So, um, actually, when I was involved initially uh, with, with those events and my diagnosis, I was diagnosed with PTSD. And I was just a, a civilian, just a normal person. Um, at the time, I was uh, just uh, the daughter of a police officer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so now being on the job and exposed to... You know, the traumas that we see, um, I have a, a new and improved diagnosis of complex PTSD. Uh, <laughs> no, no <laughs> let me ask you, you say that it wasn't recognized and you didn't even know yourself that you had PTSD. What were the first symptoms that maybe somebody that is listening and had traumatic events that they thought they were over? Maybe they are not. Maybe they're having those symptoms and just don't recognize it. Absolutely. Um The first and probably biggest, well, <laughs> there's a number, but um, the sense of feeling alone, the sense of feeling that uh, I was the only person, you know, that these horrible things had ever happened to and um, feeling that just, just I couldn't relate to people and that no one understood me. 
Mm. You know, so no matter what, if people tried to help or whatever, you know, I, I can remember saying, well, you just don't understand. Um, and besides that, I, you know, profound sadness. Um, I got to a point where I was just numb. Um, you know, before kind of that numb point, um, very angry, right? And so where does anger come from? Well, it comes from hurt. It comes from, you know, grieving or, or whatever that might have been. Um, you know, I would go from zero to a hundred, you know, at the snap of the fingers, you know, where things were fine and one little thing would, you know, upset me uh-huh. and, uh, you know, just, just this uncontrollable rage would take over yeah. and, and, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know any different. Yeah. I just now, would you that say that, that is relatively nice. typical for PTSD? That un, unrecall, that un, that sudden anger and, and uncontrollable anger that comes out of nowhere. Um, I think honestly that it's different for each individual because mm-hmm. your experience with PTSD and what's triggered you or, or put you into that spot. Um, you know, it's different for everyone, and their perceptions are different. Uh, some people might just be sad or numb. Um, but, yeah, I would think that a lot of people probably do get mad. They probably don't have a, a high tolerance for, you know, much of anything because you're, you're, you're always on edge. You're always on high alert. And so part of that is that agitation. And with that, I believe, would come the anger as well. Yeah, and, and, and I know that many people that go in war zones experience PTSD as well. And I know years ago it was called shell shock. And it, they were told, oh, just get over it. But I know from personal experience, actually, with my grandfather, who had to serve in the Second World War in, on the German side, sadly, uh, he came home a changed person. And that happened to many people that came back from the war. And nowadays we know it's PTSD and there's lots of help for it. And I, I would love to talk to a little bit more about that, how, to, how PTSD comes along, why somebody gets PTSD and others don't. Sure. Sure. Uh, so absolutely, uh, with your grandfather um, being exposed mm. to, you know, kind of that war issue. Absolutely. So PTSD basically stems from, I mean, there's a number of criteria um, that's listed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, Volume 5, or people mm. call it DSM-5. Uh, that's uh, a tool that um, mental health professionals will use uh, sometimes to help diagnose uh, a certain condition. So mm. within that, um, the person, um, again, there's a number of them, forgive me if I, for, no, uh, no, if I missed okay. some, but, um, you know, exposed to, you know, a severely trauma traumatic event, um, event in which, um, you know, they felt that feared for their lives, um, it could be an event where they saw, uh, you know, uh, a friend, a co-worker, or even someone they didn't know uh, lose their life in a, in a very, you know, kind of violent or traumatic way. Um, mm-hmm. Nowadays, they're also suggesting that people that learn of a traumatic event that has happened to someone close to them, uh, there can be vicarious trauma. So mm-hmm. someone telling you an extremely traumatic event. Now, I mean, that's a little bit different. I think mm-hmm. I think that might be a stretch, to be honest with you, that one. Um, sexual assault. So again, that, that, you know, that violation, um, one of the main components with PTSD when the person's exposed to whatever's going on is the sense of helplessness, that no matter what that person does, they can't change the outcome. They can't, you know, they can't stop what's happening. Um, and so that, that really kind of takes over and, and really, you know, kind of works, works on your, on your psyche there, just, you know, just making you feel like there's just nothing you can do. Mm. Um, so power, powerlessness, um, vulnerability, um, those kind of things but it has to be a very severe kind of um, exposure to, to one of those types of events yeah 
And then within that, there's a number of, of criteria. If you look in a DSM, there's A, mm-hmm. B, C, D, and E, and you have to have oh, you know, yeah, certain things. Oh, yeah, the DSM things, so. is very complex. It's a very big, big it manual. Is. And sometimes it but, it's just to put a label on something. But sometimes yeah. it's really helpful to know that it actually is a consequence of something and not just something that you imagine in your head and that that is something that you just have to get over it and nothing nothing serious it is serious yeah absolutely um in 2000 when they told me i had ptsd i had no idea what ptsd was Uh but just like you said i felt so thankful i felt hopeful because i thought wow, okay, maybe there really is something wrong with me, but you know what's wrong with me, and now we can start to work on uh-huh. it. So, now, yeah, you're let's, right. Let's just spend a few minutes on it. I have the question, why somebody that, say, two people experience the same traumatic event, why does one person get PTSD, the other one not? Is there anything that predisposes people? Uh, there are a few studies that suggest um, exposure to various events uh, while you're a child. Um, can potentially uh, make you more susceptible. However, as much as you're right, uh, PTSD has been around for years, battle fatigue, shell shock, mm, mm. Um, you know, and the, and the list goes on and on. Even in the 1800s, uh, there's, there's listings mm. and, and, you know, documents about it. Um, you know, these things are based on, um, you know, how that person was brought up. So, and, and what types of exposures they, um, you know, experienced as a child. So some of the things that, potentially, according to this one study, mm-hmm. could put you at more uh, risk of these ad- adverse events would be, um, you know, even something as simple as divorce in the family, mm-hmm. you know, loss of a parent, loss of a sibling, um, you know, again, a sexual assault, mm-hmm. you know, and a traumatic, an abusive home or abusive background. So those are a few things that could, but it's not black and white. It's actually very gray. It, it is a very difficult, difficult uh, uh, way to be. Many people have those experiences and many people have PTSD and it's still not widely recognized. They say, oh, well, you just have to get over it. And that is not helpful in any mental illness. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Mm. I do PTSD now for myself. Um, if, if you can picture, I'm a visual person, so if you can picture drawing a picture of an umbrella mm. and if you write the word PTSD in that umbrella, but then underneath that umbrella are all of these little, these little strings, if you wish. And those strings, on each string, you know, things would be written down. Uh, depression would be one. Mm. Anxiety might be another. Uh, you know, maybe some sort of an addiction to whether it be mm. alcohol, drugs, gambling, you know, spending money. Mm. All of those things are basically PTSD. You're right. It's just an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something, mm-hmm. okay, you have PTSD, but it's it's different for everyone and and you know so those things affect people uh differently it's certainly a very important part of of life because uh, here in canada and in the u.s too uh, wherever they listen to that podcast and the same in europe we send people in crisis areas mm-hmm. where things happen that are unthinkable here i yeah. mean who here sees somebody being beheaded in front of them that must be yeah. so traumatic Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And and I, I, I know soldiers that came back with PTSD. I know first responder that had PTSD after they saw a child burning up alive or something very extensive mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. you probably saw very traumatic scenes uh, as a paramedic. And I remember when I worked in Germany as a doctor, we went uh, to first as first responders too. And I've seen some quite horrible things. Mm-hmm. And... It, it, it's 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 hard to deal with it, isn't it? It's 
it's very difficult. Mm. Um, you know, the, the scary thing is that when people hear PTSD, they think it's a life sentence. Some people think that that means that their life is over. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is difficult. Um, I do not believe that you can get rid of PTSD. Mm-hmm. But what I do believe is that if you take a lot of, you know, hard work, mm-hmm. you know, really dedicated time um, working through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the different things that are troubling you, trying a whole bunch of different modalities, exactly what your show is all about, you mm-hmm. know, different modalities yes. for different people. I believe that you can continue on, you know, with your life and you can you can get back to that, you know, healthy, contributing, you know, person in society. It's, wow, that, uh, it's not the end of the world. That is wonderful to leave us for the first half of the show with. And uh, after the commercial break, uh, we will talking more about PTSD and what can be done to deal with it, to help to live with it in a constructive way and maybe still contribute. Thank you very much. Thank you. And welcome back to Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOEFM or on the web at communityradio.ca. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer, and today I'm talking with Stephanie Davis-Miller, a paramedic and advocate for first responder mental health. And in the first half, Stephanie, we talked about PTSD, what it means to the person. Now let's talk a little bit about what you can do If, if you went through a traumatic event, is there anything that you can do to prevent getting PTSD? Uh, I don't know. Um, that's a great question. I don't know that you can prevent PTSD. Mm. I mean, many, but I think... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, go ahead. I, yeah, I was just going to say, I think that education... Uh, is power. And I mm-hmm. think if we can educate, uh, so my goal, you know, what I do mm-hmm. is, is, you know, work to, to speak with first responders, but it goes for anyone. If we can educate people as to, you know, what is PTSD? What is depression? What is anxiety? Mm-hmm. And, and make people aware of what these things are, what the signs and symptoms are, mm-hmm. and ways we can, we can, you know, kind of help ourselves. I always recommend, you know, a six-month wellness check to go in and speak with a therapist, mm-hmm. even if nothing's wrong. Just to check in, just to make sure things are, you know, on the up and up. Find someone to talk to before you're in crisis. So that when you're in crisis, you have someone that knows you, that knows, you know, the basics like, you know, I'm married, I have two dogs, I have two kids, you know, that kind of information. Mm -hmm. So that when you're in crisis, you can get down to the meat and potatoes of what's going on and they have a background on you and and may have some sort of an idea how to help you better or um, some sort of an idea as to why the situation impacted you the way you did, mm-hmm. you know, because of maybe your past history or whatnot. So I think, you know, education, I think, you know, being aware that mental health is just as important as our physical health. You know, right. we go to see the doctor together. once a year, we mm. see the dentist, it's the same thing. It all goes together. I yeah. always compare that the three parts of us, the body, the mind and the spirit, and we have to have it all together or it wasn't, won't work. Yes, absolutely. Now, 
What do you think of those debriefing sessions that they often uh, offer first responders after a especially traumatic event? Okay, uh, so along the years there's been different um, models. Mm -hmm. So there is one that's called a Critical Incident Stress Management Model, or CISM. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some other different ones that are coming out as well. Um, I, I think that the intention is good. Uh, I think that, uh, but again, going back to, we're all individuals. So we mm -hmm. all perceive things differently. So just like you said, I might be really upset by a call and my partner might not be bothered at all. Or maybe someone doesn't feel comfortable, you know, speaking in a group. So I think that uh, an invitation to debrief after a call is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that for me working as a paramedic, I think even if we don't have something that's formally arranged, although that I think that's, that's needed, uh, we do that anyway. So after a bad call, my partner and I might talk about it. You know, maybe yeah. my supervisor might come by and say, hey, how are you doing? Do you need half an hour? You know, you need to go and get a coffee and just, you know, get your mind back together. Yeah. Um, and I think that more services are recognizing that now. I think a lot still needs to be done. But I think you can never force a person to talk about it. I don't think it's good to put a person on the spot in front of their colleagues to talk about, Definitely you know, no. the specifics. I think that can be harmful. I think mm -hmm. we need to be very careful because if we're leading these, these, these whatever it might be, these groups or, or whatever that might be, and, and giving people information that um, maybe isn't the proper information, mm -hmm. you know, because we're not mental health professionals, um, sometimes we can hurt people. So I think it is good to talk about it. I think it is good to recognize that some people need some space. But, you know, some people don't have anyone at home. So some services will automatically send you home after a horrible call. And for some people, that's amazing. But for some people, that might be the worst thing because now they're going home and they're alone. Yeah, that's true. And I think beyond just the debriefing, I think that's great, whatever that looks like, if that's immediately, immediately after the call or a day or two. But I think it's very important to follow up with the people involved after that. Because if not, I mean, I think that it's just, you know, it's almost like lip service. Okay, we've done our job, we've, we've checked the box, and now away you go. Yeah. But we need to understand that it might not hit people for a mm -hmm. couple of days. Mm -hmm. It might not hit them for years. So there's there's a lot more to it, I think, than just, you know, a, a one-day, one session. Sure, and, you know, and I think different people might be hit by different events. Somebody that yeah. has experienced a rape herself, for example, might be affected more when she deals with a rape victim. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Or if, or if, you know, whatever happens on that call um, somehow reminds you of, of your personal life, whether mm. it's a vehicle, the age of a child, mm. you know, the color of the hair of the person. It just, it just depends, you know. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know when you come to an accident scene, sometimes the scene is very chaotic, you hear screams, and that can mm -hmm. be very traumatic by itself, even for bystanders. Absolutely. And so, you know, with that, then that, you know, is kind of that whole flashback part, right, mm -hmm. which is part of PTSD. And, you know, triggers. When we talk about triggers, some people are triggered by things that they see. Some people are triggered by things they hear or certain smells or certain mm -hmm. locations. Mm -hmm. So absolutely all of those things. Um, you know, I, I had a partner that, uh, you know, we would we would do very well and, and an excellent, excellent medic. But when you start, and even me to a point, when you start hearing, hearing the sounds on a call, mm -hmm. you know, that the family, that's what gets you. You know, and that's, and that's what get that, got that particular partner was very, very difficult for them. Um, you know, was, was when you could hear, you know, the crying and the screaming mm -hmm. and whatnot in the background. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and 
I'm fortunate that I work with a partner or, or a number of partners and you get to know each other and um, you can kind of try your best to look out for them. And if something like that's going on, you can kind of try to try the best you can to get them out of that situation or find them something different or, you know, mm-hmm. or, or at least, you know, know that you need to check in with them after because they've just been exposed to something that you know is a trigger for that yeah. person. No, that, yeah. that's a good thing to do. That's to, to offer them the help. I think that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it is important even that uh, victims of crime have access to those counseling services or whatever they need because there's often no money available for those. At least as a first responder, you usually has a, have a health care uh, insurance or something that covers those costs. But I know there's, yep. there's victims of crime that have no way to pay for any services and that's a sad situation then. Yeah, absolutely. I know that I and again, I, I forgive me, I'm, I'm not no, from no. Nova Scotia, That's although okay. it's a lovely province. Um, I know in Ontario that, um, you know, through there's two types of victim victim services. I think there's a victim witness service and, and something else. One's run by um, the police service, the local police service. And then the other one is run by the courts. And uh-huh. so um, it's fortunate, and again, I don't know how much support, but I am aware that they do have programs out there for people. So people, you know, sexual assault victims, yeah. uh, you know, victims yeah. of violence, uh, you know, theft, et cetera, yeah. where these victims can go in yeah. and receive, you know, all types of counseling. So, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes people don't know that. That's you know, true. Or they're told and- about it when they're traumatized and they don't remember to ask. So and there's there's services like yeah. that in Nova Scotia too, but most of them are run by charities and not ah. even government funded. Yeah, and they yeah. have very limited funds sometimes. And I yeah. I think sometimes that instead of giving it all to the perpetrators, yes, they need help too, but the victims mm-hmm. need support too. And the first responders, by all means, we need our first responders. Absolutely. Uh, that brings me back to peer support. Yeah. You know, peer support, the whole concept is, um, you know, and there's different levels of peer support. So if you're working on, you know, just kind of the level of more of a friendship type of peer support, where basically you're just dealing with people who have been through a similar, maybe not the same, but a similar experience from you. I find that uh, for me, I run a Wings of Change uh, program out here in Ontario and Brantford, uh, peer support. And basically what it is, is just trying to normalize things. So, you know, I'm a first responder, I have PTSD, you know, or, you know, maybe some mental health issues. And, you know, I have other first responders that come in uh, and frontline workers. And, you know, we talk about basic things like nightmares Mm. or, you know, going to Costco on a on a on a Saturday when it's very busy and it's just too much for us and thinking, oh, my goodness, thank goodness, you know, that that drives somebody else crazy, too. And that's Um, very important. I hate I hate to cut you a little bit short, but we are getting slowly to the end of the show. And I would like to give (laughs) you a chance to share. I know you have a book out there that you wrote. Would you like to share the title so the listeners maybe can get it if they're interested? Oh, sure, sure. So I have a couple. Uh, The first book compilation that I did is called What's Self-Love Got to Do With That? Mm -hmm. Uh, Got to do with it, sorry. Um, you can find that on Amazon.com, or you can also find that on my website, which is simply StephanieSpeaks.com. And Stephanie, Stephanie is S T E S A N I E. The second book that I, uh, I, I took part in is uh, a compilation. It's called Your Shift Matters Resistance to Resilience. And so those uh, those books talk about, you know, a kind of a growth through adversity. Mm-hmm. Okay, this, this is the stuff that happened. 
this is, this is, you know, my story. This is what works. This is what didn't work. This is how I stay well. These are some mm-hmm. different modalities that I've tried. And it's just a book of encouragement to try and help others, you know, to help them know, hey, you're not alone. Well, that's amazing. It is really absolutely amazing. And I can only uh, recommend everybody that's interested in that topic to get those books and contact you if they're interested, maybe for a speaking gig or something. I know you speak a lot and that uh, is amazing because you have an amazing story and I would love to talk to you for hours about that topic. But (laughs) we are at the end of today's show. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Stephanie. It was a pleasure. Such an important topic. And please don't hesitate to contact me with any questions, thoughts, comments or suggestions. Or if you'd like to contact Stephanie, forgot her contact address. My email here is christine at communityradio.ca. Or you can contact me through my website, which is doc.christine.com. I'm always grateful for any feedback. I also want to extend a special thank you to today's producers, Murray Stacy and Jim Francis. You might not know this, but this is a volunteer-run non-profit radio station. And we even have an art gallery. So thank you all for listening to Thank You uh, to Healthy Alternatives. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer. Tune in next Thursday at noon at 97.5 CIOEFM Community Radio with live stream on communityradio.ca for the next episode. Goodbye and have a great day.